Want to start here? Sure. Sure. Tell me where you think that the water level is going to go up to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All of this will be underwater. Puberty Rock will be under by 40 feet because we're slanting downhill from that height up there, 20 feet above everything. Chief Callian Sisk is talking about what will happen if the government has its way and the Shasta Dam enlargement project goes through. After decades of planning, the project is moving towards final approval. And see, up, up there, it'll still impact, like, uh, Sacrapool, it'll impact uh, Waiwakat Village, it'll impact all the way up to um, the rock house that Westlands owns now. We stand on dry meadow grass. This is a Winnemumwintu dance ground. We're in a narrow valley with mountains all around, looking down at the McLeod River below. It's one of the most beautiful places I've ever been, with earthy tones of red, green, and brown. Behind us is the rest of an old village site where Chief Kellyn's great-grandfather was the headman. She gestures to all of the sacred places that could be destroyed if Shasta Dam is built higher and water levels in the reservoir go up. And so then how does that impact Children's Rock? Um, we hope that it doesn't impact it, but it'll be underwater for, unless they draw down all that water. And then, and same with, and the dance ground. What happens to the dance ground? It'd be underwater. The women's healing uh, pool on the little stream, that'll be underwater. Coyote Rock will be underwater. This village will be underwater. The uh, burials that are across will have to be moved. Yeah, there's, there's burials. Yeah, and there's burials here. And there's burials upriver that'll have to be moved. From KALW's The Spiritual Edge, this is A Prayer for Salmon, an audio documentary series about the Winnemumwintu people and their clash with Northern California's Shasta Dam. I'm Judy Silver. A lot of people have a hard time understanding Indigenous sacred sites. Lila June Johnston is an Indigenous scholar whose research focuses on human ecology and Native worldviews. She writes this about the Winnemumwintu's sacred sites. Quote, What one person might dismiss as just another rock might embody and enable an ocean of memories, stories, lessons, and healing for a person whose culture is tied to that land, unquote. I think a lot of people have a hard time uh, seeing Winnemum sacred sites as, as sacred because uh, they, they're trying to compare it to a church or a mosque or something of that sort. But I don't think it's actually too hard to understand if we think of different analogies in different cultures. Like, for example, the Ganges River is a huge river in India, very sacred to the people of India. Nothing can designate it as sacred. It's just the very history and its connection to people it makes it sacred. And so why can't these boulders and pools and creeks and forests and mountains be sacred to the Winnemumwintu? Uh, I think sometimes we accidentally deny the humanity of the Winnemumwintu when we deny that these could ever be sacred sites. We don't see that these are people too. They have profound experiences with 
uh, certain places too that might not be mosques or churches. And this is where they pray. This is how they pray. And so I think we have to really listen to and learn from indigenous peoples who have that mental map and that historical understanding to understand why these are sacred sites. Chapter two, a visit to sacred sites. We travel back to the river all the time, but we, really, we don't really have a, a landing place. We don't have a place that we can leave our things. Like this is home. Instead, Chief Kellyn and other Winnemawintu have to travel for more than an hour, starting from the rural reaches of Redding, California, where a core group of them live. On this mild June day in 2018, they organize food and supplies before taking off. Today's group includes extended family members and friends. It's a small caravan's worth of cars with about 20 people. We'll drive to three sacred sites on a mountain that rises above the McLeod River. These sites exist in a constellation with other sites that could flood if Shasta Dam is built higher. In the Winnemumwintu worldview, they're all connected. And so none of them are out of danger. You change one, you change them all. Chief Kellyn drives her dark blue Ford Explorer, and as we travel north, her eyes scan the landscape. The snow-capped Trinity Alps rise up in the west. The higher, sharp peaks of the Cascades hover to the north and east. We drive onto a bridge that crosses over the Shasta Reservoir, and she notes that with a higher Shasta Dam, these water levels will go up. The water will go up past these toilets. We turn off the highway and wind through a thick conifer forest. Before American settlers began grabbing up land in Northern California, this was all Winnemumwintu territory. Now it's managed by the U.S. Forest Service. We pass public campsites. Then we turn onto a bumpy, steep dirt road and climb upwards. Chief Kalleen stays attentive. She slows to look at clear-cut patches. She shakes her head at the idea that trees are considered renewable resources. Our first stop of the day is a sacred spring. A small but fierce waterfall pours out of the mountain. Everyone piles out of the cars. People are joking around. If you were in the other car, I was like, hey, that guy looks like James. And then when he opens the like, that is James. On damp soil, the group gathers in a loose circle. Everybody got smudged with our, our root that we use all the time. This is Helene Sisk. She's Chief Kalleen's sister and the Winnemumwintu's song leader. Of the two sisters, Helene is the quieter one. We don't really use the sage and all that stuff everybody else uses, so we use it, our root. And she, if she sees something about you that needs a little prayer, then she'll come up and give you a prayer. She explains that to purify their energy, one of the guys smudges. He waves the smoke of a lit root around each person as they stand still with arms outstretched. Then another whispers to remember the good things, to listen and speak with their heart. And we uh, wash our face and hands and then put some water on our heart and on top of our head. 
and say a little prayer there and it helps you out. So it's like a cleansing? Mm-hmm, kind of, yeah. Kind of good for you, good for your mind to make you feel better. But just to know that you did that, you know, and you know it's good for you. We pile back into the cars and continue climbing the rough road until we stop and everyone gets out of the cars again. The men go off into a sacred sugar pine grove to pray. Meanwhile, the women and children stand around. Kaleen's son, Nechai, lays out large pine cones neatly in a line. I found another one. Some of the women start chatting about how the pine cones fell early this year. Yeah, a couple of months. <laughs> like, oh uh, yeah, the world is off track. The world is wrong. <laughs> We're not. <laughs> world is. We're on track. The men come back. We climb back into the cars and continue the steep climb upwards until we reach the top a place the Winnemumwintu call Universe Rock. It's a remote spot with towering trees, entirely removed from the bustle of modern life. The group pulls out roughed-up metal tables and chairs from the cars. They set out picnic foods and rake pine needles to clear space for a fire on the forest floor. By now, it's late afternoon. The skies are cloudy, and at first, it looks like rain. Michael Preston, the son of Chief Kaleen, sits with his back to a tree. He holds an animal skin in his lap. I ask him what he's doing. I'm just making a fox quiver. A ceremonial case to hold arrows made from the skin of a fox he found dead on the side of the road. It's for the dances, for the war dances. Michael is in his mid-30s with clear eyes and dark, thick hair pulled back in a ponytail. He's a deep thinker. He graduated from the University of California, Berkeley, with a degree in society and the environment. But what he values the most is the spiritual side of life. As we talk, he stays focused on the fox skin. He scrapes back and forth with a small knife. Good place to work on it out here on the sacred sites, actually. Away from everything and just in nature is the best, most clear way, I guess, to make it. The Winnemumwintu have a word to describe the sacred, to describe these sites. Sawa, but sacred. It's the closest Christian term that we can come up with, I guess. Divine, holy, I know, all those words. And what is the word again? Sawa. I mean, language is always going to fail how, how what's really going on, but that's our attempt, put it in simple terms, I guess. You know, kind of like the, in the, Kind of like the Tao and Taoism. Same thing, but it's just trying to explain what the Tao is. I mean, it's a whole book. <laughs> Same thing for Sawa, I guess. The American government has never made a lot of room for the indigenous idea of sacred, or Sawa. To explain, I'm going to leave Universe Rock for a bit and introduce you to a really important person in recent Winamamwintu history. I'm praying for the whole world. This is Chief Kaleen's great aunt, Florence Jones. I'm praying for all nationalities, the white, the red, black, the yellow, and the brown. 
I'm not just praying for what Mondo people are here today. I'm praying for the world. When Florence Jones was born, her elders identified her as a powerful healer and groomed her for the role. By the time she died in 2003, at the age of 95, she was respected by Native people all over California and beyond. News of her death even made it onto the obituary page of the New York Times. The earth, the mother earth, the high winds, the tornadoes, just showing you people that you don't understand. Now I'm here to tell you what the nature is told me to tell you today. When you don't believe in nature, you lost everything. She would go into trance and she would talk to spirits and she would tell people what was wrong with them and they'd be crying and grown men would be crying. I'm a little kid watching this. And like it was always very serious, like no talking, like no nothing. Like, And she, the way she did it, like I can't really explain it. Like really, it's just very real about it. Something, you feel it like it's, like there's something going on here, like not just something, there's something very big going on here. You're listening to A Prayer for Salmon from KALW's The Spiritual Edge. This is an 11-part series. To hear the rest of it, search for The Spiritual Edge in any podcast app or go to thespiritualedge.org. Now back to the story. Florence Jones was a young woman when Shasta Dam went up and displaced her people from their river. But with her knowledge of the old ways, she helped the Winnemumwintu hold on to their culture and ceremonies. In her later years, those who knew her well called her Grams. Grams and then other leaders in the Winnemum were decided to get in the face of the federal government. Claire Cummings is an attorney who spent decades doing pro bono work for the Winnemumwintu, starting when Florence Jones was still alive. She says Native American ceremonies were illegal for much of the country's history. That forced communities such as the Winnemumwintu to practice in secret. In 1978, Congress passed the American Indian Religious Freedom Act. It guaranteed tribes access to their sacred sites on public lands. After, Florence Jones applied for a permit to hold ceremony at a place called Decus on the west side of the McLeod River. Claire Cummings says the application was a gutsy move. It forced government officials to acknowledge that the Winnemumwintu were still here and they had rights. Saying, I have a right to my ceremony at Decus. And she had the right to continue her ceremonies there. As a lawyer, Claire Cummings was curious about whether the law could further support Native American religion. Her father had worked at Glacier National Park in Montana. He, <laughs> he was born in 1891, and he worked in Glacier National Park and lived with the Blackfeet. And this is in the early 20th century. From him, she learned to respect indigenous wisdom. He said, who were the first people here? Pay attention to what they knew and what they learned. It seemed natural to me to consider um, the first peoples in any place where I was. She realized the law prioritizes protection of private property, 
not indigenous sacred sites. Our legal system is utilitarian. It doesn't see the value of something that's 10,000 years old and an oral tradition passed down from generation to generation that is kept secret, perhaps, or danced or dreamed or sung. That's just not part of the Western culture way of grasping the world. In the 1980s, the Winnemumwintu owned no land along the McLeod River. Their sacred sites were on private property, national forest, and logging company land. To hold ceremony legally, the Winnemumwintu had to either apply for permits or ask permission. Not exactly ideal. But then, out of a mistake, came an opportunity. It all started when loggers cut down ancient trees from a sacred sugar pine grove, the same grove that we visited today. The land is owned by a logging company called Sierra Pacific Industries. Private property owners can mostly do whatever they want on their land. But in this case, Sierra Pacific wanted to do something called a timber harvest. That required a state logging permit. Well, the problem is, is that they got the permit and then they didn't respect the restrictions that were placed on that, so they, they, they desecrated the sugar pines. They cut down the trees. Florence Jones was devastated. Sugar pine trees live upwards of 500 years. For all that time, her Winnemumwintu ancestors would have gone to these trees to pray, just as she now taught the people around her to do. Not too long after, a group went up the mountain. It included Florence Jones, Sierra Pacific representatives, along with Cal Fire, a few archaeologists, other timber people from the state, and Claire Cummings, the Winnemumwintu attorney. We went up the mountain and we stopped at the springs and uh, we're sitting there and Grams did her prayers and Grams gave a talk which talked about how injured she and the place was and she went into trance she came out of trance and she said the spirits have said I can forgive you so she said she forgave them Claire Cummings said the people at the meeting including those from Sierra Pacific felt really badly they cared a lot they were hamstrung by their jobs and who they worked for and their Western viewpoint. So so what do you do in a situation where they actually really care, but there doesn't seem to be an obvious answer? Well, in the back of my mind had always been this idea of getting land back for the Winnemum. She suggested Sierra Pacific sign off on a cultural conservation easement as reparation for the desecrated sugar pine grove. It would permanently protect three sites on the mountain, the Sacred Spring, the Sugar Pine Grove, and Universe Rock. It would allow the Winnemumwintu to visit and hold ceremony at these sites whenever they wanted. No logging or development could take place on these grounds, ever, even if Sierra Pacific sold the land. In some ways, it's a better deal than actually owning the land. In this case, the cultural conservation easement um, gave them all the rights that they needed, which is ceremonial. You want to be able to just go there when the right time is to do the right dances and songs and pick the herbs or whatever it is you need to do. 
It was a big deal. The Sacred Spring, Sugar Pine Grove, and Universe Rock now had permanent protections. And the Wintu had permanent access to the sites. Back at Universe Rock, the sky's clear. Members of the group grab chairs and trudge through overgrown, dry vegetation. It's not clear where we're going until we come to an outcrop of rocks where the mountain drops steeply below. Looking out at the valley, seeing pretty much nothing but trees, it's easy to understand this as a sacred place. In the distance, we see water flowing through the McLeod arm of Shasta Lake. Chief Kelly's son, Netshire, runs to the top of a large boulder. What do you see? I see everything. Come up here. Everyone takes a seat on their chairs or on the ground. What is Kuyum? They face Chief Kaleen, who stands on a large rock, her back to the vast valley below. Beside her is a small chest filled with supplies, such as her pipe, tobacco, and abalone shells. She begins to speak to the group. Some of you are, are brand new to here, but this is a, this is a sacred place here in uh, Grams and everybody did a lot of work to protect this from the loggers, protect this from the people who say they own this land now. When the Winamamwintu want to pray hard on a problem, they say they're going around the world. It's not really the whole world. It's a tour of Winamamwintu sacred sites. These sites are all connected, but each one offers a different energy and power and is occupied by its own spirit beings. Universe Rock is the last stop. This is where we can uh, unload. Um, if you're carrying a lot of stuff, then you just put it down here. You just let them take care of it. Let them take that. Do away with it. You know, you don't want to carry it around no more. Then you give it to them here. Done talking, Chief Kaleen directs that everyone gets smudged down. Once again, a few guys walk around with the smudging route and also some sacred spring water so everyone can put a little on their hearts and the top of their heads. A few people collect pine needles for tea. Others stare out at the view. What I see? I see, uh, I mean, you see all the old-time trees out here. This is Nick Wilson, nephew of Chief Kaleen. He's in his late 20s, tall, with sharp features, handsome, it's not always easy being a young Winamamwintu to stay engaged in this way of life and still have a means to survive. So it's nice seeing those old-time trees and it's nice not seeing a whole bunch of houses out there. It's real, real peaceful, real beautiful, and it'd be a, it kind of make, makes it take me back like I wish I was back in the old days, you know, like being up here, seeing how it looked. 
The trees connect Nick to his ancestors and the culture he's committed to. This is one of our sacred places. When people have been coming here a long time before me, before Kellen, before, you know, long, long, old, old time place. We're just here putting our prayers down, letting the spirits know that we're still here and we're still, still needing help. Because, I mean, there's a lot of battles going on right now and this is the, the closest place we can get to Creator. That's why it's called Universe Rock. Which brings us back to the battle against a bigger Shasta Dam. Even in this place of refuge where they can relax and let go a bit, the threat to their sacred sites looms large. If the dam raise happens, I don't know. Like, um, I don't know, just how does it make you feel? Uh, the dam, if, if the dam raise happened, I would be very disgusted and sad and scrambling to my sacred places to see what else can we do. She'd come back here and to other sacred sites. She'd look to them as you would a friend for wisdom and the strength to keep fighting against the odds. The sun falls below the horizon and everyone takes the short walk back to the fire. They set out the food and sit around in a circle chatting, gossiping, and poking fun at one another until it's well past dark and it's time to quench the fire, load up the trucks, and leave. Lila June, you published an academic study about the Winamamwintu, where you explored what would be lost to them if the proposed Shasta Dam enlargement project is built. In that study, you talk about how a people can be endemic to a place. That is, that there's only one place in the world where they belong. Yeah, so a lot of us know about endemic species, right, which are species that are found only in one place in the world, a one little valley or one little desert or one little river. So just like the blue cheek butterfly fish in the Red Sea, you won't find this beautiful fish anywhere else in the world except the Red Sea. Therefore, if you pollute the Red Sea, if you do something to damage the Red Sea, you could very well lose this species forever because that's the only place they depend on. So similarly, indigenous cultures can be endemic to a place. Their culture can be so wrapped up in, in one river basin that they become constrained, in a sense, to this specific biome. And so the Winnemum Wintu are like this. They are intimately connected to this river basin. And what you do to the river basin, you do to the Winnemum Wintu. So would you say that the conclusion at this time, when the planet is kind of falling apart, is that we should be thinking about how to protect these cultures? And then an extension of that is that to protect them, that we have to protect their sacred sites? Absolutely. On the next chapter of A Prayer for Salmon, we go to Shasta Dam itself and learn how the project to build a taller dam plays into California's increasing desperation for water. Uh, where we're farming far beyond the reach of our water, even as climate change is hitting, even as more droughts are hitching on to previous droughts. That's on the next episode of A Prayer for Salmon from KALW's The Spiritual Edge.
music you're listening to is In the River by Ray Zaragoza. A Prayer for Salmon is a project of the Spiritual Edge at KALW Public Radio. To hear the rest of the series, look for The Spiritual Edge in your podcast app or go to thespiritualedge.org. That's also where we have beautiful photos from the series. I'm Judy Silber. Thanks for listening. In the river is our sisters and our brothers. We are camping out for each other. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.